Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. This morning, as we begin, I'm going to tell you something that's going to be very helpful for you in life. Uh, Maybe someone's never told you this before, but it's true. And that is, you cannot believe everything you read on the internet. (laughs) I know, I know you're thinking. It's written there and it's on my screen. It must be true. Uh, But it's not. And, And so maybe you are someone who has fallen victim to some urban legends, And you've seen these before, and maybe you don't even know for sure which of these urban legends are true and which are false. For instance, an urban legend, maybe that you've heard before, is that there are alligators in the sewers of New York City. And and the story goes that these alligators were taken as pets from people when they went to Florida. They didn't want them, so they put them down their toilet or or whatever it happened to be, or or somehow threw them into a gutter. And now there are alligators that are a problem in New York City. Well, I'm here to tell you that that is false, and that the only thing in the sewers of New York City are Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which we know protect the city. (laughs) Urban legends, other ones maybe that you hear, some of them are true and some are false, so you don't know. One of them I I read, I, I didn't know. What is the closest U.S. state to Africa? It's, it's the state of Maine. And if you were to go and look at that, if you were to go look at one of those facts that, that you're like, how can that be? That's, that can't be true. But if you were to go look, in that one you can go verify on a map that actually distance-wise, Maine is closer to Africa than Florida or any other eastern state. Another one, let's see. Uh, oh, this one. This one you've seen. You have to be careful if you're traveling, right? And if, if you go and maybe go to a restaurant that has a bar, you have to be careful that no one slips something in your drink because then what could happen is they could take you to a hotel room and take out your kidney and then put you in a, 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 a tub of ice and then you wake up and there's a telephone that says call 911 and they've taken your kidney. Uh, no, that's not true. Even though I have gotten an email that says it is. So what do you do? What do you do when when you are looking at these things and you get these emails that you read them and say, this one doesn't seem right, and and I don't know if it's true or not? I don't know about you, but I go to a website, and it's called Snopes.com. You ever hear of that? Yeah? Yes? And and if you go in there, you can put uh, what you've heard or what you've received, and what they do is they go and investigate these things. And so what they do is they will tell you if this is true or false or partly true, and they do a lot of investigating so that you don't have to. The only problem is it's also on the internet, so we don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> well, today as we look at the resurrection, I decided to go to Snopes and put in, did Jesus rise from the dead? And it's not on there. So now what do we do? 
what do we do on a day like this when, when we come and the message is that Jesus rose from the dead? Because I guarantee you that there will be people that will tell you that is urban legend, that that did not happen, that that cannot happen. And there are other people who believe it completely. Well, one of the things that we can do is go to the Gospel of Luke. And where I'm going to go to, to start is not to where he talks about the resurrection, but I'm going to take you actually to, to Luke chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. If you have a Bible or your phone app and, and you'd like to look at that right now, you can. And this is an important place for us to start on Easter. Luke 1 verse 1 says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So first of all, we have an an eyewitness. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The reason why Luke wrote his gospel, and the reason why, why Luke was not one of Jesus' disciples. Luke was a doctor. Luke was an educated person of his day. And there's no doubt with Luke as a doctor, when he heard things like about miracles and about people who were sick and now healthy, a person who had been blind from birth and was now able to see, a person who had leprosy and and now was healed, Luke knew as a doctor that that was medically impossible, that there was not a cure for these things, that this couldn't happen. And so what he decided to do was go and find out for himself. And since these things had already taken place, there was only one thing he could do. And that was to go and talk to the individuals to whom these things happened, to hear their stories, to to hear their accounts, and to write them down. And the conclusion that he came up with is that everything that is written in his account in the Gospel of Luke is true and accurate. And so today as we go through Luke chapter 24, which is the account of the resurrection, I want you to make sure that that as we're reading through it, you read through it from that point of view. That, That as we read through it, this is not just written by someone who believes the resurrection is true, but it's by someone who investigated it. And and as we read through it, I think we'll be able to see how we did that investigation and see why we can believe that it's true. So we start in Luke chapter 24, beginning with the first verse. And it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. First day of the week, going to the tomb. And no doubt the question, when Luke was interviewing individuals who had gone to the tomb, who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, really the first question you ask is why, right? Why? Why in the world would you be going to the tomb in the first place? And the why in in this situation is very clear. The reason why they were going to the tomb is because they expected Jesus to be dead They expected to find his body, 
And because he was buried hastily, that they got him down from the cross and, and the Sabbath was coming and, and they just quickly put him in, in this, uh, these linens, these grave linens, that he did not receive a proper burial. And so what they were doing, because they loved him, because they cared about him, they were going back on this Sunday morning to give him a proper burial. That's why they were there. And that's why they took the spices along with them. They were carrying these things along the way. Now, as you think about that, I want you to think about the feel of Easter. Because this morning, I have to believe that your day had a feel to it at, at, in some way or another. I drove around, and if you go to Cesar Chavez Park at 7 a.m., it has a feel, and the feel is almost like a crime scene. There's so much yellow tape of people reserving their areas uh, that, that they want to make sure they get their spot. And so our Easter feels like, like a weekend. And so maybe you've seen calendars like this before. And, and if you look closely, what you will notice that this calendar as you look closely, is different from maybe the one that you have on your phone. And the reason why is this calendar is written in such a way that shows Sunday as the end of the week. And for us, isn't that really what it is? When we talk about the weekend, don't we think that Sunday is the last day of the weekend and that really the feel of it is, is Monday is the first day of the week? So we look at the calendars we have, the, the other kind that we have, and this shows Sunday as the first day of the week. So now what I want you to think about is, for that first Easter morning, I want you to think about that if your first thing to do on Monday morning was to get up and have to go to a committal service of someone that you loved and cared for. That when you think about Monday morning, Monday mornings aren't good anyways, and now you're getting up at sunrise, and you're going to find and going to take care of a dead body. Not a good day, not a good feel to it. And as these women went, it wasn't one of excitement and happiness that we have with Easter, but it was the exact opposite, expecting to find a dead body. In the blank, you can write, the first Easter was a typical first day of the week morning. Sadness, heartache, pain, not wanting to be there, wishing they could be somewhere else. And now as they're going forward in that day, Luke chapter 24, verse 2 and following, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And then they were wondering about this. So as these women were going out from the tomb, and, and we can read from different gospel accounts that they were walking, they had their spices, and, and they were thinking about everything except a very practical issue. And that was that this tomb would have a stone in front of it. And so what I did is I got a picture of, of maybe what a tomb would have looked like at that time. And, and so, so you see the, the situation where they, they would have gone and, and that stone, although round and, and easier to roll than one that wasn't round, would be a little bit difficult to move. Secondly, as, as they were getting there, they no, noticed that the stone was now moved 
And now as they began to, to look in, and probably, most likely, they would have had to crawl to get into this tomb in, in the first place, that they recognized the body was not there. I'm going to show you one other picture. We don't know if this is the case or not, but, but very often this is what a tomb looked like. And that is that, that you would have that opening that would have that rock that would be rolled. Then as you walked in, that there, there would be a, a small chamber of, of some kind. And, and even that, maybe not even one that was tall enough for you to uh, stand in. And so now I need you to, to be thinking in terms of if you were carving one of these, or maybe if you've ever seen on like border wars or whatever where, where people have burrowed either out of a jail or out uh, under the border to try to get uh, drugs to the U.S., they make those as small as possible because it's hard. It's, it's hard digging. But most likely what happened is that there was a place like that. The body of Jesus would not have been right inside but rather would have been put somewhere inside. So now you have a situation where the stone is rolled away and it's dark. A little bit of light is maybe coming in from the sun and these women have to crawl in to a tomb that was never used before so there would have only been one body there and they are finding that, that there is no one there. All right. Let's think about this just for a moment, and, and I need you to think, and it, even on a day like Easter, to think about death, first of all. And, and first of all, I want you, when you think of the word death, I think whether consciously or unconsciously, we think of death as the end, right? That, that death is the end of our life, and that is when our time here is over. But Really, when, when the Bible talks about death, it, it talks about it in a different way, and I hope you would think about it this way as well. That death is simply a separation of the body and the soul. That's what happens when we die. That our soul leaves our body and, 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 and goes away, either heaven or hell, and our body remains here. But here's the deal, and, and I think you, you realize this, that we are attached to the bodies of those we care about even after their spirit leaves. I, I don't know if you've been in this situation with death. I have been around it so much because I'm a pastor that, that people have called me and asked me to be there when, when a loved one is dying. And so what happens is, is you sit in a room and, and you're, you wait. And you wait and you wait and, and you come to a point where death is expected and, and maybe even if the person is very sick, it is hoped for and it is prayed for. Lord, please let their suffering stop. Please take them home to be with you. And then what happens is, is once that does happen and, and they've died, that there is this desire by many people, not all, but many, to simply stay with that body. And especially here in Arizona, because what happens here is that very often, in every funeral I've ever done in Arizona, the body is taken and cremated. And, and then it, the, the ashes are whatever they do with the ashes. And so they know that when they are with that person that they love and care about, this is going to be the last time for them to say goodbye to the body that they've grown accustomed to seeing every day. 
And now can you see that, that these women were finally going to get on this day, what they were praying for is closure. They didn't want the final memory of Jesus to be Jesus hanging on the cross. They didn't want the final memory of, of him just being taken down and, and hastily put into this tomb. But this was their opportunity to say goodbye to the body of someone that they cared about and loved very much. And that was now taken away from them. And because of that, as they saw the tomb, as they saw that the body was gone, they wondered. In the blank, you can write, a natural reaction to the body of Jesus being gone is confusion and frustration. Confusion and frustration. And I want to be clear here with what Luke is saying and Luke is not saying. Luke is not saying at this point that the women believed that Jesus was alive. He is not saying that he rose from the dead. Luke does not jump to conclusions. And these women being honest about it, that they would say that thought never even crossed their mind. That if you were to go to a funeral home and the body of someone you cared about was not there, wouldn't you think they screwed up the paperwork? They were taken to the wrong place. They were taken to the wrong... There was a mix-up in the paperwork. Or as these women thought, maybe someone stole the body. Maybe the Roman government came back and said, you know what, we want to make sure that we take possession of this body because everything that happened, all of these thoughts are going through their mind. And their confusion and their frustration that's compounded by grief. But still at this point, not faith. We continue. Luke 24, verses 4 and 5. While they were wondering about this, this frustration and confusion, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. If they weren't awake at that moment, uh, they were after that moment. Could you imagine being home? I, uh, I can't imagine it. I think that's why I get freaked out by it. Uh, of being, just imagine that if you're in a funeral home looking for a dead body and, and the casket's empty and all of a sudden someone comes up behind you and says, hey, what's going on? It's like, don't do that. Don't walk up behind me like that. And so these, the, and so again, we looked at that funeral, that, that tomb chamber, the possibility, so it was tight quarters anyways. And this is Luke as well. I just, to show his investigative bend here, Notice he's, he never says these, two, these men are angels. Never says that. And, and I'm wondering if perhaps when these women said they were men dressed in white, that Luke is like, you know what? I'm not going to make assumptions. Did they tell you they were angels? No. All right. Then as I write this account, your eyewitness account, if they did not identify themselves as angels, even though other gospels do, that we're going to make it clear these were men in white who had something to share with you. That's right. We continue. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? And and so we, we think about this question, this question, why do you look for the living among the dead? And really a, a better translation of it would be, why do you look for the living one among those who are dead. And with the question, these men were actually making a proclamation. 
And that proclamation is, Jesus is the living one. That Jesus is not dead. Now they were putting something on the table that the women hadn't even thought of. And that is the fact that Jesus was alive. Pointing to this verse as well, Luke does not get into what it meant. Remember, he's just looking at the factual account. So I take you at this time to Revelation 1 verse 18. And here we we get an idea of what this means. And this is Jesus speaking when he says, I am the living one. I am the one who is alive. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is the living one. And the implications of that, the implications of that are are not only the fact that he is alive, not only that he has beaten death, but now he holds the keys as well. That death no longer holds him, and now he knows the way out for us as well. That that key is one that we hold as well, the key to beat death. In the blank, you can write, with their question, with their question, the men in white were actually making a statement, and that statement is, Jesus is the living one. Jesus is the living one. And and I'm going to stop there just for a moment, just to to pose this question. And and it's the question really of the angels. Why do you look for the, the living among the dead? This, this whole idea that you're looking in the wrong place for something. And my question for you is, when you in your life are looking for God, and you're looking for Jesus, or you're looking for answers, I, I don't know exactly how you would phrase the question, but when you are looking for something, maybe it's just looking for something more in life. Where do you look? And I'm wondering if possibly a question you might want to consider is this, is if I'm looking for happiness, if I'm looking for contentment, if I'm looking for a way out, if I'm looking for whatever it is you're looking for, is it possible? Is it possible that you're looking in the wrong place? Is it possible that we continue to go to tombs, that we go to graves, that we go to to dead ends? Can we call them that? Places where we go, where we're never going to get and find what we want. That we're looking for things like those dead bodies that we think will give us some bit of closure, that will give us some type of contentment when God offers us so much more. When he offers us also the living one. To tell us, turn from those things and turn to the promises of God. To start with the truth that God is alive. He is bodily alive, that Jesus rose from the dead, but also God is alive and working in our lives as well, and to search him out. And where will, where will we find him? Let's see where the women found him. Luke 24, verses 6 to 8. He is not here, he has risen. Literally, it means he woke up. He's not here, he woke up. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. 
See, the women were looking in the wrong place, but they should have known better. They should have known better because they had the words and promises of God, the words and promises of Christ. And on numerous times and on numerous occasions, we know they heard him. We know they heard him because when he talked about going down to Jerusalem and dying to pay for sin, that that it was Peter who said, don't talk that way. Lord, never. This is not going to happen. We're going to prevent this. And that's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. That also sounds like us. We don't have in mind the things of, of God, but we have in mind the things of men, that, that we have in mind the dead bodies, the, the, the limited power, the uh, going to, to find consolation in a loss rather than finding victory in Christ. And so he pointed them clearly. And, and no, my favorite words of this are the women remembered. They're like, oh my goodness. It was right in front of us all the time. Now all of a sudden, the life of Jesus makes perfect sense. Now we understand why he didn't want to come and and be an earthly leader. Now we understand why he, he showed himself to be the Christ, that he lived for us without sin. Now we understand why the cross always had to be part of this. We understand why he needed to die. And now we see clearly that he is the living one. He is alive. That all of those things that Jesus did were for me. They were for you so that your sin would be taken away and your relationship with God restored and that you would have a future, not just that ended in death, but that went beyond death into eternity. In the blank, you can write, it was always, <clears throat> it was always part of God's plan to have Jesus live for us, die for us, and rise for us. The plan is very simple. It is really a simple plan when you put it that way. That is the life and ministry of Jesus summarized and why he came. He came for you. He did all of these things willingly to take away your sin. And his resurrection from the dead proves that God accepted his payment. We continue. When when they came back from the tomb... They told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. In the blank, you can fill that in right away. The first witnesses of the empty tomb were women. And right next to that, I want you to put a slash. And They were women, and they were named. Just out of curiosity, have, has anyone here uh, gone and seen the movie Risen? Have you heard of it before? Yeah? Have you seen it? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, a few. Uh, it, I, would, I would suggest going to see, if you haven't yet, the movie Risen. And even though that, that I, you know, from a pastoral point of view, that there, were, there would be things that I would not agree with it, with the entire movie, the premise, the premise of the movie is a very interesting one. And that is that after the body of Jesus was gone, that a Roman soldier is charged with the the job of finding the body. Go and find the body and all of this will end. And so what he did is the first thing he did is that when he went, he, he tried to find out who was saying that Jesus was alive. 
Who's starting these rumors? And once I get their names, then I can go and I can interview them. Then I can find out what they know, and that will be a trail that will lead me to the body of Jesus. And that is why this is especially interesting. Because Luke, as an investigative reporter, when when asked, who did you hear these things from? Would have asked these women, okay, you've told me this. Can I use your name? And he said, absolutely. Here's my name. And, and, And each one of those women, when they did that, do you realize what a target that would put on their back? Do you realize that that, that would put them in, in danger of, of, as they were looking to squelch this, this truth of the resurrection, whether it be the Roman government or the Jewish government? But yet these women were willing to have their names published, to have their names associated with this account. And so it's not like when we watch the news when it's certain unnamed sources tell us these things, but rather we know exactly who it is reliable witnesses of Christ's resurrection. The next one, Luke 24, verse 11. But they did not, uh, so they told these things to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. In the blank, you can write, the disciples' reaction to the resurrection was unbelief. They just couldn't believe it. This is another reason when you think about it from an investigative standpoint and people sharing an account and and what that account was like, that this also shows the, the, I don't know if I would say ugliness of unbelief or or exactly what I would call it, but, but the reality that even those who were closest to Jesus, when they heard this, it just didn't make any sense to them, that they had seen Jesus die. And, and going through their head would have been Jesus on the cross and, and, and being, having the spear in his side and, and the dead body being taken down and knowing that he was dead and, and just thinking, even with all of that, there's no way a body like that could live again. And, and so as we look at the mental gymnastics they were going through, in, in some ways it's understandable why they would not believe. And that, le- that leads us to where we are today and where you are at today. I'm going to make an assumption. I'm going to make an assumption that not everyone here believes either completely or, or maybe some not at all in the resurrection because it's hard to believe. Maybe even you could argue that it is impossible to believe. But what's important is what comes next. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Just an interesting aside, when it says Peter got up, it's the exact same word as Jesus rising up from the, the grave. That Peter got up. That, and, and, it's, and it's now going to be, we'll talk about this in a moment, but rise up. It is also the name of the series that we are starting today. That he rose up. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So now we get, we get a little bit different. When Peter goes, it's a little bit different from the women. And what happens is with these eyewitness accounts, something else is added. And one of the things that is added is what Peter saw with the tomb 
Again, did the tomb look like this? Probably not. Was there light shining like that on where the body would have been? Probably not. That it would have been pretty dark in there. But it's an interesting thing that he says that the grave clothes were there. And, and this is why. That when you think of, in terms of, of the, the theory that the body was taken, you know, I, I don't have, I'm going to tell you this, okay, and you got to believe me. I don't have a lot of experience with dead bodies, okay? I don't. Or moving them, okay? Just to be clear. But I have to believe that if somebody had this as an occupation where they were going to be taking a dead body and it's wrapped up in a, in a, uh, like a sheet and, and stuff like that, or maybe in a carpet or wherever it would be rolled up, <laughs> that you probably would leave it in there so that when you took it wherever you were going, you could hide it and that you wouldn't get blood all over yourself. I'm, I'm just saying that that's probably the way that I would do it. And, and as we look at these, <laughs> I remember once, yeah, judge, the pastor sent a sermon once that he would not, anyways. But, but the, the grave clothes being there. That, that when Jesus got up, the grave clothes were left. There were no need for them anymore. That they weren't taken to wrap a body that was stolen. But, but, and, and Luke chooses to include it on purpose. Once again, strengthening the evidence that the body wasn't carried away, but the body of Jesus was reunited with his spirit and he walked away. He walked out of that tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Even then, Peter is making it clear, even then I didn't know for sure that the whole, even though I had heard that he was alive and he had risen from the dead, he didn't believe it. In the blank, you can write, in reaction to the message of the resurrection, Peter rose up to check out the empty tomb. And that I would encourage you to do. Whether you are someone who believes the resurrection completely and you have staked your eternal life on it or someone who has questions, you owe it to yourself to get up today, to rise up today, to find out facts. And so I would encourage you to look at the end of the gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. You owe it to yourself to read it to at least hear what God says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to, to, to explore, to explore the teachings of Jesus. That if you haven't done so, that to at least through, read through one of the gospels, to find out exactly what it is that you don't believe, if nothing else. And then as you do, to let the evidence speak for itself. When you do, it's my prayer the Holy Spirit will work in your heart and take you where, where it took Peter and, and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. First fruits mean that, that now there's, there's fruits, but there's going to be a second harvest. That right now is one resurrection, but there are going to be many more resurrections. It's talking about yours. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The sting of death is sin. 
The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus takes the sting out of death. One day we will all face death. And it might be the death of someone we love and care about who's close to us. And, and as those times, as I begin to get older and older, that I realize that that day is coming sooner and sooner for me. And to recognize that, that that is something that we face. But Jesus has taken away the sting of death. The sting of death, the reason why death is so horrible is because of our sin. Understanding that the reason why we die, the soul that sins is the one that will die. That we can make that connection, whether we can articulate it or not, that when someone dies, we understand that there's a problem. That there's a law preaching whenever there's death, and it's God's law preaching. There is a problem that needs to be taken care of. But Jesus has taken away that sting. Jesus has taken away that sin. And now death, like it was for Jesus, a doorway, is now a doorway for us as well. Death is not the end. Death is the beginning of life with our God in heaven. And so today, I also hope you realize that the resurrection of Jesus, that the message for today is not the end of a series. This is the beginning of one. Our Rise Up series is not only today, but it's going to be for the next five weeks as well. And the reason why is we are going to see in the individuals who are eyewitnesses of the resurrection that it changed their lives forever that they were willing even to go to the grave, even to die for what they had seen and what they believe. It's my prayer that you will rise up as well to watch and listen. In the blank, you can write, Peter considered the possibility and later the reality of the resurrection. And that is what we are going to do as well. Thank you for those who are here today that it's your first time. Thank you for opening your, your ears, your, your minds to the possibility of the resurrection. And it will be, continue to be my prayer that the Holy Spirit will work in you, will work through you, that you will also rise up and see that this evidence is true. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you for Easter. As I like to say, yeah, baby, this is great. Uh, this, is, this is the best. This is as good as it gets. And, and Lord, as we look at this account in Luke, thank you for giving us eyewitnesses who, who shared with us exactly what they saw so that 2,000 years later, we can see through their eyes into an empty tomb and be assured that you are indeed alive. Now help us, Lord, to, to live in light of the resurrection. Help each person here to rise up, to follow you, to look at this evidence and, and come to that same conclusion. Send your Holy Spirit to be with us. Continue to bless us. And, and may we see that death has lost its sting. We don't need to be afraid anymore, but we can have our, all of our trust and confidence in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. 
And now as you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. We'll see you later.